0: Hey, guys, it's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that is okay. Today, we're talking all things sexual health. And you know how I feel about this topic, but this episode is fantastic. I'm going to sit down with Dr. Lindsay Harper. She is a sexual health specialist here to encourage us to talk to our doctors, our friends, to be honest within ourselves about sexual health. She is a board certified OBGYN and associate professor of OBGYN for Texas A&M, a fellow of the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and a fellow of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. She is also the founder and CEO of Rosie, an award-winning women's health technology company that connects women who have sexual health concerns with hope, community, and research-backed solutions we're going to talk about how our sex life influences other aspects of our life and how that plays into our overall wellness so without further ado here is my lovely conversation with dr lindsey harper And I am here with Dr. Lindsay Harper. I'm so happy you're here to join us and have a conversation that can sometimes, as our listeners know, be a bit uncomfortable for me, but I'm excited to have it with you of all people. I know as a women's sexual health specialist, you are here to encourage us to talk about, you know, be honest with ourselves about our sexual health to become more comfortable with the discussion. You know, we're going to talk about sex life and how that influences other aspects of our life and how that plays into our overall wellness. But before we dive into all of that. I would love to talk to you about when you first decided to become an OBGYN and what made you steer your life into the direction of sexual health.
3: Yeah, well, I promise to try to make this as painless as possible. <laughs> I hope it'll be a fun conversation that's easy to for you to have. You know, I've always ever since I was a little girl wanted to be a physician. I knew that growing up. And then when I was in college, I got a job, which I was underqualified for as a labor and delivery tech at a women's hospital. And I fell in love. I thought it was so cool. The mix between getting to know people really well, and also being a surgeon. And that's something that you really, don't get in any other field. And then also being present at birth and and the special moments that happen sort of all along the way in women's health, I was just really, really drawn to. So I also thought I might want to be a pediatrician. But when I got into medical school and started understanding really what the day-to-day of each profession was like, I knew it was going to be OBGYN for me all the way because it's, you know, it's nonstop. It's never the same. And I just love connecting with women and talking to them about things that Maybe they don't normally feel comfortable talking about. So apropos (laughs) that we are here
0: today. Exactly. I can't imagine being able to. I mean, I think giving birth has been one of the most special times in my lifetime, and I cannot imagine being able to spend those moments each day with someone experiencing one of the best moments of their life. I that makes so much sense why you would choose that.
3: It's beautiful. There's nothing (laughs) like it in the whole wide world. It's a true honor. Like I would say, anyone who does what. I do would say that it's it's a true honor to be able to be there in those really, really, really special
0: times. Wow, that's so fantastic. I know when I was researching this, I know you had talked about how you had patients coming to you and saying that they didn't want to have sex, that, and you realized that you didn't cover this in your residency, which I find fascinating. I mean, in in my mind, you guys cover everything, but then I guess this may be w- one of the topics that isn't covered. Right. Well, uh, you're exactly right. So I was seeing
3: patients every day in private practice as an OBGYN. Some of these patients, you know, we'd had pregnancies together, you mm-hmm. know, multiple times. So I knew these women really well, and they felt comfortable confiding in me. And so it was over a period of a few years where people... The, the sort of expression of sexual problems, whether it was, I don't care if I ever have sex with my partner again, but I like miss wanting to have it or what's going on with my orgasms. They used to be fabulous and now they're kind of like, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I've been having sexual pain. So all of these things kind of started racking up. And I was like, wow, they most of my patients are experiencing a sexual problem. But like you said, I had not had any training. And the, we, the really bothersome part about that to me was that I didn't even recognize, even as an OBGYN, that I had a huge gap in my training, right? And that's just because it's not as if they're like, oh, women's sexual health, we're going to skip that chapter. Women's sexual health, are you talking about STIs? You know, and it's like, no, I'm talking about the women want sex? Are they enjoying sex? Like we recognize that that's a part of sexual health for men, but we don't recognize that for women. So it's just completely forgotten in medical training. And I spent two weeks in an erectile dysfunction clinic. So I knew more about men's sexual function than I did women's. And that just made me irate when I sort of had that epiphany. And I really wanted to do more to help my
0: patients. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for bringing this up, because the fact that there wasn't even a chapter written, it's not that we skipped the chapter, there just was no chapter is is just hard to even wrap our brains around. And yet at the same time, we realize and acknowledge that there's such a lack of, you know, not just information, but, you know, uh, the sort of like comfortability of being able to just talk about it with each other, even within ourselves a lot of the times. So why do you think that is just from society's perspective?
3: There's so many things going on there, right? So I think from a medical perspective, perspective that women's health just in total has been looked at as a function of reproduction. And so it's like, okay, does it have anything to do with pregnancy? Cool. Like we'll look into that or or cancer, right? Is it going to kill the partner that I love, right? So if it doesn't have mm. to do with one of those two things, then it has been really glossed over in, in medicine. And I would say in society, when we think about women's sexuality, it's really been focused on men's pleasure and men's safety, yeah. right? So that's like, are men enjoying themselves? And are, are we preventing STIs? Otherwise, it just really hasn't been a pertinent part of the conversation. And I think, you know, as women, we can say definitively, that, you know, conversations around our pleasure, our desire, our enjoyment of sex have been sort of relegated to the back room of, you know, of women who are other than you might want, you know, your, your daughter or your wife to be presented as, and that disintegration of our sexuality is really harmful, harmful for us all. It's harmful for us as women, because we can't acknowledge that in fact, we are women who you would want to be life partners with and who you would want to have children with who are also sexual beings, right? Yes. And so when we can't integrate those two things, it causes a lot of dysfunction for us internally, but also for us relationally. And then we're both sitting there looking at our partners thinking, what has gone on here? And it's actually that breakdown of the identities, you know, in society as a whole that really causes all that harm. And I think the sooner we can realize that, hey, we can be whole people, just like we recognize that men Our whole people. Mm. Women can own their sexuality and still be really successful in all of these other roles, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that.
0: Hey guys, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
4: (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby.
0: I do have a question I mean in truly asking just personally because once I became a mother, it did feel like there was an identity change although I still am as you said, like a sexual being there are times when I want it we are so exhausted and my son had just turned one just turned one so we are in that you know so we have a four year old and a one year old and it just feels like I'm grappling with my sense of identity within my sexuality. And is that something that you found patients would admit to as well as, you know, now that they are mothers, having a difficult time figuring out what your identity is within the sexual space? A hundred percent.
3: I mean, I'm a mother of three, so I have definitely, my kids are a bit older, so there is hope. (laughs) but I just I think that it's a very normal thing that you're experiencing I think that you know the emphasis that's placed on motherhood and we you know I would say it's a huge part of who many of us are right who are mothers or who wish to be mothers or who are mothers with you know with babies who have passed like there's Mm. so much to to, that goes into that but that doesn't mean that our identity shifts from a to b right it means more that over time we have to figure out how to how to meld A and B. How do we maintain our own sense of personal identity that's not a mom, right? That maybe yeah. is what we contribute professionally, or maybe it has something to do with you know what we enjoy or contribute artistically or how, how we spend our time. Maybe it has something to do with our partnership. In fact, it's actually all of the above, right? And so mm. I think that with the emphasis that our society and our world and, you know, the media places on motherhood, oftentimes we go from A to B and we forget to ever... Touch back with A, and then we we get you know six years down the road, and we've given everything we have to these you know little people who are you know are very demanding, (laughs) and they'll take everything we give them, right? Yeah, they will. They're they're very needy, (laughs) and then we're like, what have I done with my life? Like, who am I? What am I doing? I don't even remember who my partner is, and we've really gotten out of that. Like, okay this Lindsay wakes up in the morning. These are the things she wants when she's 80. What are the steps I take to get there? Are they all motherhood related? Probably not. And how do I create my day and my week and my year to represent, you know, what I want for my life, not just what I want for my children's lives. And I think
0: that's really important. Wow, absolutely. What a wonderful way to see ahead. That is such an incredible. I'm going to I'm going to take that. Thank you for that. What do we want when we're 80? Because right now this year, a lot of the things I want are more kid related because they're starting school. They're doing this, getting into a specific school district, all these things. But when I'm 80. I don't want any of that. I want a really wonderful, connected relationship with my husband and with my friends. And yes, like creating things that the world needs and and how beautiful all that is. So thank you for sharing that. That's incredible.
3: Absolutely. And you have a lot to give. You have a lot to give as a mother, but you also have a lot to give as a person, Mm. as a Kayla. You know what I'm (laughs) saying? And when we forget that and we lose touch with what are those other parts of me that are worthy and deserve attention and watering and air and, you know, all of these things that ideas and creativity need, then that's really where we kind of start to lose our light. And so I think the sooner we can recognize that after we've given birth, which is really hard to do, and it's not as if this is an overnight process, it's a very intentional, thoughtful process that I think contributes overall to our well-being, including our sexuality.
0: Mm. Okay, so I really do want to talk about libido and how women can and you know, a lot of people have low libido. That's what I'm hearing just not from myself and what my life experiences, but also a lot of friends that have kids or or work so hard not they don't even have a family but their job is everything they work so hard they have no time for anything else. People have low libidos now. It it feels like maybe we're just talking about it a little bit more. Why are women having this problem and how can we improve it?
3: Yeah, I think. okay. so number one, low libido is the most common sexual complaint that women have by the data. 38 percent of women say that they have low libido in my life. It's like, you know, 70 percent of women. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not to normal. Like, I also want to say that there are plenty of women who have a very high sex drive or desire. That's also a, a normal thing. So ju- I don't want to make low libido
0: seem normal. No. And if you're listening to this and you don't, great. Pat yourself on the back. Good for you. That's incredible.
3: <laughs> it is. But also there are relationship problems the other way as well. So I just want to highlight that. But since the since the number one sort of sexual problem that women describe is low desire, we'll, we'll spend quite a bit of time on that because that is so so important. And I think there's there's a couple of different things that go into this. The first, is that we have this external pressure now, right? With everything that happens outside of our home and outside of our personal lives, we feel like there's a lot of people maybe watching us, right? Am I succeeding professionally? Am I succeeding in maybe what society has deemed my most important role, which is motherhood, right? And mm-hmm. all of that success takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time and a lot of thought and a lot of planning, especially when you maybe are the the primary person in charge of those things. And so we when we're spreading ourselves really thinly, trying to be super, you know, successful for our children, for our careers, then we are not going to keep. It's, it's. Um, I, I view it a lot like fitness, right? Nobody just wakes up in the morning and is physically fit and in great health. You have to put time and attention towards it, right? It's a worthy goal. I think we all appreciate that for our overall health, fitness and, you know, having a balanced diet are worthy goals. The same is true for sexuality, right? We have to view it as a part of our health, something that we need to devote time and attention to. And I think that message is not communicated clearly in society. And and, and even maybe the, the converse is true which we've just spoken about, which is kind of shut it down. You're a mom now, not a sexual person, like let's move on with our lives. And so we don't devote time, number one, to cultivating our sexual selves, but also we really start to move away from that romantic partnership with our partners because now we're parents and we don't sleep. And our kids need everything plus 50% from us, right? And so we don't divide the time equally to represent the priorities. And so when we think, okay, as as much as my goal is to live a healthy, balanced life, I also want to live like a connected, to your earlier point, and enriching life. And that involves you know, my relationship with my partner and my sexuality. And so then therefore you have to put the time and effort into it. And some of us have, as we age and as our priorities get, you know, more expansive, something called responsive desire. And what that means is that we don't just wake up in the morning and think, oh gosh, like who's, what, who's my sexual prey today? You know, like, or let's go for it. But instead you feel sexual desire in response to something. And so that could be like a, a smell that you associate, with sex or like a romantic evening that's like set aside for just your partner and and sex or uh, connection or that could be something as simple as an erotic story, right? So you start to sort of read like Fifty Shades, right? That was insanely popular. It was for this exact reason because women like to read this stuff and our partners like what happens when we read this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so. Everyone, it's a win win. And so when we think about our goals, right, and the time we need to put towards our goals, and then the tactics to accomplish those goals, erotica is like actually a really super helpful one for most women who describe that they have low desire. And so that's called responsive desire. So you have to seek out things, just like what you don't really feel like going to the gym or whatever, getting on the bike, but you know that if you do it, you're going to feel so good and you're going to be so happy. It's exactly like that. It's, it, I, w- I think of erotica, you know, like the first 10 minutes minutes on the Peloton. Like it's like, but then once you're on, you're like, yes, I love this music. Like this is my place, you know, and then you're ready. And so it's the same with responsive desire. Now there are about 10% of women who have something called HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And that's where the neurotransmitters in the head are just not happening when it comes to desire. So for those women, they may, you know, read erotica or they may have, you know, a sexual encounter where they might normally feel like on a like vacation sex for example like most of us feel a little freer to enjoy vacation sex but but women who have hs yeah women who have hsdd are like like no thanks not in response to erotica not in response to like less stress and so those women may qualify and may need a medicine to help them with the neurotransmitter situation that's going on the other really big component to bring up are anti depression and anxiety medications. These have huge effects on sexual function and and you know, millions and millions of women are on these medicines. That's not to say they're bad. That's not to say you should throw them in the trash. It's just to say you need to know that that could be an associated side effect. And if that if you think that's what's going on with you, then it's worth a conversation with the person that's prescribing so that maybe they can find another one or find an additional medication to kind of get you to a place where you're happy, you're not feeling depressed or anxious, but you're also being able to enjoy your sexuality as well.
0: That's so nice to know, because I have a few friends who are on some of that. And it, it I don't know if it's widely known that it is a side effect. So thank you yeah, for it's addressing not. Yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, guys, we're going to Take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
4: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi.
0: we're back. And so, okay. I would love to talk about Rosie, your brand new sexual health app, because I went on it and took the quiz. First off, huge. I'm I'm obsessed with quizzes. And I think my theory is that most of us love them because (laughs) when we were young teenagers, we would get those 17 magazines and we would love the quizzes. So it takes us back to this like fun, free living part of our life. And so for those who don't know, well, talk to us about Rosie, what Rosie is to begin with, and then we'll dive in. Yeah. So,
3: you know, when I had this epiphany as an OBGYN, I was like, man, this sucks that I even as a doctor and all of my patients slash most women in the world do not know how common sexual concerns are and do not know what to do about them. Right. It's not the the problem with most of our sexual concerns is not the actual concern or issue itself. It's all the shame and embarrassment and silence that exists on top of our sexual concerns, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever I was like trying to work through that problem, I'm like, man, is there a way that we can, you know, try to change the way that the world views women's sexuality and our sexual health? And like, what does that look like? So my effort to do that is Rosie. It's a platform. It's an app that women can download on their phones. There are paid options, but you can download it completely for free and you can understand how common these issues are what are the contributing factors this is something that i'm so passionate about is that you know we are not just a sexual problem we are our you know a product of our relationship we're a product of our upbringing what cultural and religious overlays do we have on sexuality Mm -hmm. what medical things might we be experiencing you know, that could be affecting us in terms of cancer or STIs or pregnancy or, you know, the million things that we go through in life. And then also, you know, how can I connect women with one another so that they don't feel alone or ashamed or embarrassed? And that's really the the purpose of the platform. And we really are on a mission to erase sexual shame and isolation for women and connect them with evidence-based resources that we know will help them, you know, enjoy the the sexual health that they
0: deserve. Right. And what I loved so much about the quiz is how in-depth it was. I mean, it really does. You can tell that it is catered, that the, the- the care that one would receive is specifically catered to you. And I mean, at one point I was like, wow, I'm still taking this quiz. Okay, but these questions (laughs) are also are also questions that make me think about myself. What is my answer to this? What is my upbringing? Has religion affected certain aspects of this? And I mean, it's really been it really was fantastic and I'm enjoying it. And also to, you know, your whole nod to erotica, there are stories available, which, okay, I'm going to be honest, I'm one of the ones that started Fifty Shades of Grey and was like, I don't know. I'm on an airplane reading this. This is so weird. It feels like too much. But the idea of having it in an app and maybe I love to read in the bath. So the idea of like, okay, maybe that's a good time to start that, and it just feels very accessible for someone who I, I you know, we started this off by saying how embarrassed I can be sometimes having these conversations. Yeah. But I started this podcast to push myself, and so that's what we're doing. And well, so just to be you. to be able to feel comfortable enough within this your the space you've created to begin the dialogue within myself, and to have a community to do that is is really quite groundbreaking for me. So thank you for that. Uh, Well,
3: it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And we have, I want to point out that we have three different spice levels of erotica. So if you're not at a spice level three, you can pick a spice level one. And we also have nine different genres because everyone, you know, wants to read about other things or might want to explore different types of fantasy or erotica. So we try to make it where you can be really in control of the situation Mm -hmm. and you can read, right? It's on your phone. You could be on whatever Instagram or Rosie, like no one knows. The difference when you're right. on your phone. And also we have audio as well. So, like if you want to just zen out in your bath and turn off all the lights, you can just listen. And that way it can be, you know, a totally sort of multi-sensory moment.
0: Wow. Yeah, there's who, lots of options. Who are these people recording the erotica audio? Oh. That's incredible. That's what another you like whole to know? story. <laughs>
3: totally.
0: <laughs> just tell us That's Dr. Harper. That's what you do, right? In your spare time. Record the audio. Oh, <laughs> uh, you'll never know. You'll never <laughs> you never know. My,
3: my Southern accent, I think, would be my dead giveaway, but we'll
0: see. <laughs> and so you guys did a you interviewed 100 women and men to talk about their se- sexuality and satisfaction. And I would love to just discuss a few points of those results before we let you go, because I found it really fascinating that women are one point five times more likely to report better sleep once they've had sex. I had no idea. So that shows us that We will sleep better if we have sex that evening. Is that what that's saying? At, well, for that's what these women reported. Yeah. Wow. A lot of
3: people. So sex affects people differently. Some people it wires them and they, so they're like morning sex people. Cause they can't uh-huh. fall asleep for hours. But the general response is that of relaxation of sort of brain clearing decreased anxiety that bump in the sort of connection hormones that happens with orgasm can be quite relaxing afterwards. So yeah, the, the, you know, study shows that that women particularly find sex to be super relaxing and report better sleep afterwards.
0: And what I love so much about this, too, is, you know, you guys talked about when do you have time? When do you have time to do this? And a lot of people said before bed. But there were a a bunch of, you know, morning time people and then a few like lunchtime afternoon delights. And so it's just interesting to see different people's perspectives and, and likes and how each person makes it work. Absolutely. And then you guys were huge on communication between your partner, too, which I think is, you know, ultimately, you know, if you're not satisfied, if you if you are satisfied, just talk about it. Just talk about it amongst each other, because I can see how that would help a relationship. Right.
3: And that's so hard for us to do. Yeah. It's hard for us to do because it's sexual communication is not modeled for us. Like where do we learn this? You know, we learn all of our behavior from somewhere. And if we don't have anyone sort of showing us how to navigate sexual relationships and conversations, then the likely outcome is that we're just not going to talk about it. And unfortunately for many relationships, that's true. Unless you get to such a problem that it's a breaking point and you're right. forced to talk about it because the relationship is disintegrating and that's not really what anybody wanted or intended right mm-hmm. and so what we really encourage is lots of different types of sexual communication there's uh, you know like during sex communication what feels good what do you not like right. what do you like like directing your partner but also sexual communication outside of sex right so where you can say hey you know we and, and this is another really important point is that sexual health sexual sexuality and general is not ever over. No one ever gets like an A and then they get to move on. It's a lifetime experience. Mm. And as we change, right? So as we're in a long-term relationship, or if we have had a child or two or three, or when we start to experience menopause or our partner experiences sexual dysfunction, or we encounter a chronic illness, these are all specific times where we're going to have to re-navigate our sexuality and our sexual relationship with our partner. So we don't use sexual communication one time to get over a one challenge. Yeah. We use it throughout our lives, and if we want to continue to low and grow and learn with our partner, just like we want to grow and learn emotionally and spiritually, and as parents, we also want to grow and learn sexually, right? Like, yes. we're not trying to have the same sex that lasts for three minutes for the next fifty years. Like, we're trying to like no, have thank a you. Fun sex life. <laughs> yes. No thanks. Like, that's not what anybody is <laughs> looking for on either side. And so, if that's our goal, we're going to have to talk about it, like, like yeah. it or not, you know. And so, I think the more we can practice it in the good times, in the challenging times for the hard stuff and for the fun stuff, you know, definitely the more successful we'll be. So, and the other piece that we talk about is how to talk to your, your healthcare providers about sex, because this is another really important point that many of us don't feel like we have the permission to do, but your sexual health is part of your health. And so we want to open up that conversation in all of those areas.
0: Dr. Lindsay Harper, thank you so much for you are so empowering. You are just fantastic. I highly recommend Rosie. We'll have a link to Rosie in our show notes for all of our listeners. Is there any last little tidbit of advice you would like to share?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think that these conversations are what it's all about. So if you're listening to this podcast, I just would encourage you to start a conversation with someone in your life. If Mm. it's your partner, if it's your bestie, if it's your sister, I mean, you wouldn't believe the conversations I've had at this point since (laughs) I started doing this a few years ago and you know what it leads to. It doesn't lead to embarrassment or disgust or you know, anything negative, it leads to connection. It mm. leads to really, you know, the, the shedding of this embarrassment and shame. And so the more authentic conversations we can have, not joking ones where we're like hoping we can talk about an issue, but like, right. hey this is what I'm going through. Being vulnerable like that in any context always leads to a, a stronger connection. So I would encourage you to have a conversation about sex with somebody who, who you feel, you know, really emotionally safe with. And you can be that outlet for them and they can be that
0: outlet for you. Just like you were for me today. Thank you so much. Aww. I'm so grateful.
3: Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: You know, it's interesting because sexual health And happiness should be attainable by all, but for some reason it feels like it's so taboo to talk about. I hope you guys listening felt that you could relate and find real answers within the conversation. If you are looking for more answers, look up Dr. Lindsay Harper. She is fantastic and just a well of knowledge. Her app, Rosie, is amazing. And I have joined a week ago and have already seen some wonderful progress. And thank you for bearing with me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I we have another great episode coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule, produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Inprint Productions, editing by Diane Kang, post-production sound by Coco Lawrence, and production assistance by Melanie D. Watson.